Luke 23, verses 39 to 43, can be found on page 1217 of your pew Bible. Luke 23, the verses 39 to 43. Here Jesus has been condemned to death, been led away, and he has been hung on a cross. And people around him have been mocking him, scorning him, spitting at him. But it's not just those who are around him. And we come to our passage today, Luke 23, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So far. Now we'll turn as well to Philippians chapter 3, the verses 1 to 11. And we will be focusing most especially on verse, the first half of verse 10. Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This afternoon we will also be looking at Lord's Day 22. And you'll be able to find that on page 536 of your book of praise. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ in my head, but also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, 
I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So far. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, you speak of any resurrection with many people in Canada today and they're bound to look at you sideways. Their view of the resurrection is that it doesn't happen at all. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that's the end of it. But it's not just in today's society that different ideas have risen up about the resurrection. Throughout history, people have been talking and wondering about what happens in the afterlife. In Paul's day, him being the one who wrote the letter to the Philippians, you had Greeks who stood against the idea of life in the body after death. Yes, there were some who believed in a kind of underworld in which the soul might float, but a resurrection? A day when soul and flesh might be joined together again? Absolute foolishness. In fact, there was even a philosophical school among the Greeks that argued that the body was a prison house of the soul. Why would you go back to it? The aches and pains, it just seems so far-fetched. Among Paul's fellow Jews, too, there was a group that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees, and they were not ashamed to tell other people about it. They even went as far as to confront Jesus Christ himself, in one instance making fun of him by saying, so, there were seven brothers, The first brother took for himself a wife, but died before he could have a son to carry on the family name. His brother then married her to provide a son for her, but he died as well. Each of this first man's five other brothers married this woman as well, but each of them died. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Ha, gotcha, they were thinking. But Jesus shook his head at them. You don't understand the scriptures or the power of God, he said. At the resurrection, people won't be married or given in marriage. And that ended that conversation. You see, if you do believe that there is a God who is powerful enough to create the whole world and uphold everything, you must believe that he's capable of resurrecting the human race. And Jesus points out that if he promises this on the pages of Scripture, then it is an absolute reality. It's an inescapable reality. But it's a reality that the world is uncomfortable with. Because a resurrection means a judgment. And a judgment means a reckoning for everything that you have done. As we read read in Romans 14, verses 11 to 12, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself before God. But for Christians, for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear that end. It's not an unknown It's been promised to us. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Not because of anything that we have done or we have earned, but because of what He 
has done for us. And so I won't dive into proving the resurrection today, although there's much historical proof for the resurrection of Christ. But instead, I'll focus on what impact and comfort the resurrection has for us who believe specifically. And I'll do that through the lens of the first half of Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And so we'll look at this under the following theme points. Knowing the power of resurrection in Christ. And we'll look more specifically at knowing the destination of the soul and second, knowing the comfort that it brings. Now, a good number of years ago, there was a movement that talked about what came after death as soul sleep. This is a movement that is carried on today in the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses as well. And maybe you've run across this in the people you've spoken to. When you die, this idea says, your soul goes to sleep and your body goes into the ground. Jehovah's Witnesses go even one step further by saying that the soul is destroyed and will be recreated on the last day when our bodies are recreated, making it feel like sleep to the person who closes their eyes and then opens them on the last day. And the text that they point to can be found in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead do not know anything nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. The problem with this understanding of the passage is that it doesn't at all take into account the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written from the point of view of life under the sun. And so it doesn't take into account the power of Christ and of His resurrection. Vanity of vanities, the teacher writes in Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity. This is what life seems to be under the sun, apart from God for humanity. But the teacher here is not making statements of doctrine. This is not saying what will happen after death. So what does happen after death? In the Old Testament, we don't read a whole lot with regards to the afterlife. Sheol or the grave were words that were often used to describe death. And you find the afterlife described among Jewish rabbis and teachers as Abraham's bosom right up to New Testament times. In fact, Jesus himself takes on this language in Luke 16. This place of the afterlife was seen as the place where those who are part of God's chosen people or those who are grafted into God's chosen people, people like Ruth or Rahab who came from the outside and were joined in, such people were going to their fathers or it describes it elsewhere as so-and-so died and he was gathered to his people. These were the common descriptions of what happened to the soul after death in the Old Testament. Perhaps the clearest passages that speak of the coming hope of believers for, uh, for Old Testament believers are when King David says of his dead son in 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, Now he is dead, and I shall go to him. And where Job says in Job 19, 26-27, After my skin is destroyed, this I know, 
that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes behold and not another. But what's veiled in the Old Testament, what is spoken of in indistinct tones in the Old Testament is made clear in the New. And we see that ourselves in the passages we read today where we are told of the power of Christ's sacrifice, death, and resurrection in relation to us. We're told that we have something clear to look forward to. So what can we look forward to in relation to our souls? Do we just sleep until that final resurrection? Well, consider for a moment the first person who received the joy of the promise of entry into heaven for the sake of Christ. The thief and likely murderer on the cross beside Jesus, who in his last moments, in his last hours, repented and asked Christ to remember him when he came into his kingdom. What does Jesus say to this man? Verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There are some who take this passage and they'll say, oh, he's not saying, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. But he says, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. When else does Christ ever say that? When he says, assuredly, I say to you, I tell you the truth. Amen, amen, I say to you. When else does he ever bring in the word today? Why in this particular situation would he need to bring up specifically the fact that it's today that he spoke this? The answer is that he does not specify today as the day he's telling this thief that he will be with him in paradise. This is a clear statement to the criminal who is hanging beside him of exactly where he will be before the sun goes down on that very day he will be with him in paradise. As that criminal's knees were broken in the hours that followed Christ's death, he died in agony. But he died knowing where his soul was headed. The moment his last breath rattled in his chest and his eyes closed in death, his soul was taken up into heaven for the sake of Christ. We can see this We can see this more clearly explained elsewhere in Scripture as well. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, for example, we hear of Paul speaking that he prefers to be absent from the body, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. He is speaking about the expectation of being with the Lord in his soul, apart from his body. Away from the body, and at home with the Lord. Again, we find that assurance 
laid out for us in Matthew 17, the verses 1 to 8, where the Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah, appear before some of the disciples that Jesus has chosen. They are very much present at that moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. There is no state of soul sleep for them. They are there. And again in Revelation 6 verse 10, those who are conscious after their deaths ask God, how much time will pass before the final judgment? They are there. They are aware. They recognize that time is passing. They were the ones who were taken up that very day when their eyes were closed in death to be with the Lord their God. And these are only a few of the passages that speak on this subject. They speak clearly. Our soul is not destroyed. But we have hope that we will look forward to opening our eyes before our Lord. And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism itself also specifies when it says, our souls shall after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head. This is what you can firmly hope in, beloved. Because this is what's promised to you. This is what God has laid out on the pages of Scripture. But how does this help me out today, you might be thinking. It's all very good and well for the future. And it's a comfort. But what about right now? How can I find encouragement for this? In this. Well, remember this. There are those who don't believe this truth. Those who don't have this comfort. If you don't believe, you just look at this world as all there is to life. All you are is dust in the wind. This world of sorrow, grief, or even its pale joys that we can experience, are it. This world is all the heaven that you will ever experience. But you believe. You share in the broad narrative of history. You are part of a bigger story. One that began with sin entering into the world with Adam and Eve. And continued with the destruction of its power under Jesus Christ. And as its end has the eternity that we today can look forward to, you share in that hope. This isn't a hope that's based on our own righteousness. We ourselves are not allowed to enter into heaven because we are good people. As we read in Philippians 3, the verses 9 to 10, we may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. It's a righteousness that he grants us. A righteousness we're given through being joined to Christ by faith. Consider the thief and the murderer on the cross beside Jesus again. If anyone didn't have his own righteousness, it was him. 
As a general rule, only the wickedest and the most vile criminals were crucified. And this man himself, consider this, it's remarkable. He's sitting there hanging on the cross in agony. And he says to the other criminal who is on the other side of Jesus, "Uh, you and I, we deserve to be here. What kind of life must this man have lived to be crucified and to say, I deserve to be here. But that's what he considered. It wasn't on the basis of his righteousness that he was able to enter into the kingdom of God. But it was on the basis of him saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, that he was granted entry. He didn't do anything to earn that. It was by the grace of Christ that he was forgiven. He was washed clean. And he was able to enter through the gates of heaven. And beloved, it's because of the same grace that this criminal will be clothed in the flesh once again at the end of days. It's because of this same grace that he will stand beside you and beside me. Beside all of us who believe, as Christ ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness where all sins are washed away for those who truly repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. You already taste the washing away of your sins through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That lies before you today. The sweet relief that it grants you. The joy of the knowledge that you are right in the eyes of God for the sake of Christ, his son. You feel in your heart as you take part in the bread and in the wine. Or if you are simply observing as you reflect on those symbols of the bread and the wine. You feel in your heart the beginning of eternal joy because you know you're washed clean. But know this, as you feel in your heart the beginning of this eternal joy, it is really only the beginning. As our catechism writes, since I now already feel this in my heart, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceived. A blessedness in which to praise God forever. This is the comfort that you who believe in Jesus Christ have. And if you do not believe, this is the comfort that can still be yours if you repent and you come to Jesus and hold him as the only ground for your salvation. Let this be a reminder for all of us once again today to repent, to turn away from sin, to stand under the banner of Christ in his holy spiritual war, no matter what the cost, and know that this is the comfort that we can look forward to. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen.